United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest is author Joseph Bethanti. Bethanti is a creative writing MFA mentor at Carlo University. He is professor of English at Appalachian State University, where he also serves as McFarlane Family Distinguished Professor of Interdisciplinary Education and as an affiliate faculty appointment in Appalachian Studies and the Center for Judaic, Holocaust, and Peace Studies, and as writer-in-residence of Watauga Residential College. The author of many books, including, most recently, The Act of Contrition, a short story collection, he is a co-editor of the Anthology of Black Mountain College Poetry, which is forthcoming from University of North Carolina Press. He's been in Western North Carolina for a good long time, but Joseph Bethanti grew up in Pittsburgh a city to which, as Paul Zimmer says, quote, he never stops saying goodbye. His degrees are from University of Pittsburgh and Warren Wilson College. He is a former poet laureate of North Carolina, and let me just say, this is a state which takes its poet laureates very seriously. Joseph, welcome to the Seminary Explores. Oh, it's my pleasure, Katie. So nice to be with you all tonight. I was wondering if you could tell us about the VA Medical Center Writer-in-Residence Program in Asheville. You know, we've just come off of Veterans Day weekend, and I would love to hear about um, this. how this project started. Sure. Um so, Katie, you mentioned that I was um, the North Carolina Poet Laureate, and I was from 2012 to 2014. And North Carolina Poets Laureate do the typical kinds of things that Poets Laureate do. They visit schools and, you know, hospitals and prisons and libraries and go pretty much everywhere. But we... Uh, Poets Laureate of North Carolina are also charged with declaring a signature project. So I declared that my signature project was going to be working with returning combat veterans and their families, all veterans really, to harvest their stories, often their wartime stories, but their military stories, through poetry, short fiction, memoir, even playwriting, whatever, you know, what, what, whatever medium um, suited them most. So kind of by the seat of my pants, I began that venture and got very involved in that work. And then right around, I want to say 2013 or 2014, I received an email and then a phone call from a fellow named Bruce Kelly, who's mm, a yeah. primary, primary care physician at the um, Charles George VA Medical Center in Asheville. So the Asheville VA, essentially. And Bruce 
had been pioneering medical humanities there. And I, sh I should say that, um, what a remarkable man. So hmm. his panel of patients were all Vietnam veterans, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And Bruce certainly took care of their medical needs, but he has a capacious heart and he's very interested in stories. So he began asking them about their service in Vietnam, about their family, what they like to eat, sports teams. He was really trying to feel, fill out a profile of them, not simply as patients, but as humans. So one of the things that he discovered is that most of these these men, and they were exclusively men, um, suffered from the hidden the hidden wounds of war, in this case, PTSD. So he had this idea because he knew I was working with veterans all over the state of North Carolina, that perhaps he and I could collaborate on a writing workshop up at the Asheville VA. We hit it off instantly. I mean, we're still just dear friends. He's one of my great friends. Um, we're almost the same age. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Bruce grew up in Cleveland. So we're kind of Rust Belt kids. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So um, in 2014, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got these dates right. I began meeting every Wednesday with a, a group of Vietnam veterans in classroom B and just to backtrack a little bit Bruce was able and I was able to to kind of engineer a writer in residence post for me so that every Wednesday I would leave campus go up there teach for a couple of hours and then return maybe the next day so I want you to think, to just contemplate a, 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 a basement room in a, in a big hospital. Okay. The VA, VA is considered one of the really great VA hospitals in the, in the entire country, um, where, again, 16 to 18 veterans, let's, let's say they're all roughly about 70 years old, um, from rural counties all around Asheville, would gather to write. So seeing is believing too. I wish I wish you could see these fellows. And all I mean by that is they're the most unlikely candidates to submit to creative writing. In fact, they said that they would come only if we didn't call it poetry and we just called it creative writing. Because in truth, you know, they would rather, um, gosh, I think they would rather jump off a bridge than actually write. <laughs> I mean, I want to underscore what unlikely candidates they were for this yeah. kind of thing. So I walk in, I'm a university professor and all that, blah, blah, blah. And I provide a prompt. It's actually George Ella Lyons' famous and timeless where I'm from exercise. Um, I talk about it. I introduce myself. I ask them to write, wondering what in the world's going to happen. And they, they begin to write. Um, and they didn't lift their heads until they were done writing. 
And the next, um, the next step was, of course, for them to share that writing, which they did with some trepidation, but by God, they did. And something miraculous began to happen that first day because I wasn't sure what kind of reception I would get. Right, um, sure. These are men, too. I want to underscore that for about 50 years since their deployment, since they returned from, from Vietnam, they had not uttered a word about their service. Um, again, they were all suffering from PTSD. When they came home from Vietnam, we didn't have language for what ailed them. We still had archaic terms like battle fatigue and shell shock. They were often prescribed drugs, a lot of them um, self-medicated, they stayed isolated, um, they had no truck with the outside world, and they never identified as Vietnam veterans, primarily because they got such a cruel reception when they returned from the war. It was mm -hmm. also free thank you for your service and the kind of attention that we pay to veterans now you know flyovers at football games and all of that stuff they were really vilified so they didn't identify as veterans and they had never uttered a word a word about their service their service that was eating them up um and during these sessions katie and I held my breath because I thought, I hope they come back the second time. But they did come back. Mm. And they began to write about their service. Um, Bruce and I created a kind of primer, and I had a prompt each time. One of the things that I said from off the bat was, I'm not a therapist. I'm not here to fix you. Although I was careful to mention that writing about trauma um, helps people heal from trauma in that writing has an inevitable therapeutic uh, fallout. But what they did is they bonded instantly because suddenly they were in a room with other Vietnam combat veterans who understood not only what they were saying, but had experienced similar kinds of things while they were in Vietnam. So the floodgates opened they began to give permission to one another basically to tell their stories in a safe, non-judgmental environment mm -hmm. um, where, where they got complete approval, where it was okay to be emotional, where it was okay to tell the truth. Um, and all the things they were reticent about saying to civilians who would have no frame of reference, would have no way to understand the emotional voltage of their lives. They were understood perfectly in, in, in that room. Now, I'm vastly oversimplifying what happened because it, it, it didn't happen overnight. But over weeks, in months, in years, these fellows have stayed together, have continued to write. Um, I like to say that it's the most miraculous teaching experience I've ever had in 47 years of um of writing wow. i mean of teaching i'm sorry because i had never i had never seen the the my toil 
and I don't want to take too much credit for it. Bruce and I were tried to get invisible in that classroom, but I had never seen my teaching bear fruit the way it did among those guys. And I don't, I really don't want to take too much credit for, for it. There was something happening in that room. The spirit was moving without question. The timing was right. Um, there was a little bit of magic going on, but, um, those guys began to feel younger, look younger, feel better, their, um, their health improved, relationships with wives, sweethearts, um, children that they hadn't had contact with mm -hmm. all began to improve. Um, they put together a book called Brothers Like These, which was published by a very good North Carolina University of P Press, St. Andrews P University Press. Um, it became the press's bestseller. Um, <laughs> we also mounted, in the books called Brothers Like These, um, we also mounted a um, staged reading of their work that they debuted, premiered at Asheville Community Theater, I want to say for the first time, perhaps in 2015 or 16. Some of it's a blur right now. And then they went on all through the state to do these staged readings to standing room only audiences, standing ovations, tears in the audience, they received the welcome home being on stage reading their work that they had never received when they when they first came home and it had tremendous effect on them we were at, we actually um, got in a tour bus and traveled across north carolina to the outer banks and performed it there um, they've now performed that work all over the state they have started a foundation called the North Carolina Veterans Writing Alliance, also brothers and sisters like these. They've now incorporated w women vets and the family member of vets into their group. They are going around the state evangelizing people and also have put their arms around younger combat vets coming home from more recent wars like Afghanistan and um and iraq and helping them deal with like problems like ptsd moral injury through writing um they just visited my class on november 2nd a handful of them some of the spouses um and electrified my students and again i'm vastly oversimplifying things but i i sent you that very short film called brothers like these yes yeah um, that that was directed by an Academy Award um, winning di director, um, Ross Kaufman. It won Audience Choice Awards in the Boone Documentary Festival. So it's been amazing. I mean, they're suddenly rock stars. They have all this. <laughs> These are people who wouldn't have who would have hated to be in a crowd. Were hyper -veg vigilant, and now they're they're these these diplomats, um, these, these writers who are on stage in big places everywhere, they've been in dance performances. It just blows my mind the way their lives 
opened up as a result of um, telling their stories. Stories that had been rattling around almost like shrapnel in their, in their bodies and in their minds for 50 years. Once they got that mess out on paper where they could deal with it, something miraculous happened. So again, I'm oversimplifying it. Um, it's been years now. Gosh, it's been a solid 10, 11 years I've been working with these men. And I've met their wives. I've met their children. I've interviewed some of the wives um, who, are the, who are the invisible heroes often um, in, in, in these stories. Um, as no one goes to war alone, as Ron Capps likes to say, the founder of the uh, Veterans Writing Project in D.C. So um, another real benefit of this program was they suddenly had a band of brothers again. Yeah, yeah. They suddenly had fellow soldiers. They suddenly mattered again. Because this is an interesting paradox. Even though that year in Vietnam destroyed them, Mm -hmm. it gave them their stories, which ended up resuscitating them to a person. Each of them said it was the most dramatic, meaningful year of their lives. And despite the horror of it all, they wouldn't trade it for anything. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of a thumbnail of, of that program. Um, and I remain involved in that kind of work. I mean, they taught me so much more than I could ever, ever teach them. And again, I really want to say that, you know, I end up getting a lot of credit for this, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, you know what happened. I walked into this sort of magic portal with these extraordinary men, um, and just something something happened um, that that defies logical explanation. But it made me once again realize um, just the power of stories. That yeah. stories can save us. I think that, and uh, we underestimate. Uh, we underestimate the way that can happen, don't we? Yes, we really do. I mean, one of the things that, you know, um, that I said to, again, I said, I'm not a therapist. And I said, I'm not here as an English teacher. I don't care how you spell. And a number of them said, you know, we're not writers. And what I like to say is, no, they're not writers, but boy, oh boy, can they write. (laughs) Well, and I also love that you that you started this off with the George Ella Lyon where I'm from poem because that um, there is magic to that too. It is incredible how many people in very, very different circumstances have been able to think about themselves and their own idea in a way that is, I don't, I'm trying to think of the right phrase here. Something that takes away some of like some of the shame and assumptions that often we have with the way that we have grown up or the the way that we have been, and it is such a such a strengthening experience for anyone who has done their own where I'm from poem, and it's really um, it's great to hear that that you deliberately chose that as the first prompt. 
Yeah, I thought it was a safe and easy enough way in. I yep. And because we were all here in the Appalachian Mountains in Western North Carolina, I had some sense of where they were from geographically, and we started there as much as anything. Um, and what they had to say was not only a revelation to Bruce and me, but more than that, it was quite a revelation to them where they were from. So in telling their stories, I feel like they just gathered strength in seeing that they had had a, ri a very rich past and it got them to look at their service in a much more dimensional, I think in healthy way and in an honest way too. And I know I said some things about Bruce when I began talking, but Bruce is without question a hero. There would have been no hmm. program um, without him because he kind of, you know, got his, he kind of prescribed poetry, you know, he, he, <laughs> yeah. he, he, put, he put there, you know, he put these guys in a kind of headlock and say, you, you are going to, I'm prescribing this. You are going to show up for this, you know, and they did show up, um, rather sheepishly at first, but they did it because their doctor told them to do it. A doctor they believe very deeply in because, you know, the love comes off Bruce in waves. And I would say too, that we heal in community and there yeah. was much, much, much love in that, in that, um, in that classroom in what is now um, mythical classroom B, you know, yeah. Um, so, so it was, again, it was, um, it, it, it was their great gift to me, um, that I was part of that. I'm also thinking about the role of, you know, medical humanities does some things with other subgroups of people who are able to, you know, clinicians who are able to do writing exercises in safe spaces, um, in ways that, that have been, really necessary and um, exciting recently. I've been thinking about that and I've also thinking about the way that humanities in general and you know creative writing is a part of this are kind of under attack right now at, <laughs> at a lot of our universities and colleges. And it it is really important and encouraging to hear the direct um, importance and some, sometimes life-saving role that um, that stories play. I'm making kind of a an extension here by hooking it back into the humanities and to medical humanities, but that's part of it. Um, and I'm just curious if you have if you have any thoughts on some of the recent recent trends. Um, you know, um... I, I, I'm 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 appalled at the attack on humanity. Certainly, that they are in some ways um, superfluous because they don't trade people for economic, you know, to 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 augment economic growth, if mm -hmm. you will. And the idea that people that they're they're superfluous. Um, they're not called the humanities for nothing because one of the things that they promote and underscore is is human dignity and shared humanity social yeah. restorative justice and i saw 
up close what the humanities in all of the arts can do for people like these vets who were not initially congenial to the humanities at all. Mm -hmm. Um, The kinds of things that have been done with veterans suffering from moral injury, um, PTSD, through dance, through yoga, through photography, through music, through all kinds of visual arts, it cut through all the obstacles the traditional medicine was coming up with, was, was hitting in trying to resuscitate the spirit of these men. And, I, and, and I, I, I'm not sheepish about saying that the spirit was moving, and I don't mean denominationally or naming a god, but there was something very, very deeply mystical and spiritual happening in that room among those among those men mm-hmm. um so i think it's beyond um beyond significant i i want to say this too that dana joya too who was the chair of the oh yeah national, of the national endowment for the arts who's a, a an, an amazing american poet an amazing citizen deep i feel like a deeply spiritual person i know dana um He's the one that started Operation Homecoming in 2004. And, I, in, in, yeah. and that was to get returning combat veterans um, who were coming back from Afghanistan and, and Iraq with just an array of, of maladies, um, writing about their experience. And also family members writing about that experience. And that was a joint venture it it wasn't some harebrained artist thing it was a joint venture between national endowment of the arts and the department of defense right Um, yeah yeah so there so so people in the highest echelons of the military have acknowledged that this kind of practice among veterans struggling with invisible wounds is efficacious is the gold standard that it works um so there is that built-in paradox sometimes that politicians and other people of or certain conservative politicians are hammering away at the humanities when indeed um it 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 resuscitates um our veterans and that the department of defense was completely on board with all of that so um, and, and even have had programs for veterans to deal with the humanities before, um, before they're deployed. Right. Yes. So yeah. 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 So it's, 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 it's a preventative that, medicine. <laughs> well, it absolutely works. You know, it absolutely works. I've seen it. I've seen it up close, not just in not just in VA hospitals, but in shelters, domestic, you know, um, domestic abuse shelters, um, shelters for the homeless, certainly in prisons. I mean, I've, I've worked in those settings and seeing people come around to their own lives and their own families and their own humanity through their stories. Once they saw them on paper, 
because what writing does is it gives us, once it's on paper, a kind of order that mm. does not exist in our heads when we're just thinking yeah. about things. So it goes from chaos to cosmos, and it has a kind of order on paper that the actual experience didn't have. And we didn't write just about doom and gloom and horrifying things. There, You know, there were a lot of things that they did while in the military that were really, really, really funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, we, we, you know, we asked them to write one time um, about, you know, just R&Rs they had. And those were raucous, wild, ribald stories, you know. Um, so, so I've seen it work, you know, among what we would typically call non-readers, non-writers. Hmm. Well, it has been uh, it has been so interesting and vital to hear about this uh, this example. Um, I would love it if you could close us out with um, some of your writing. Um, do you have a, a poem on tap, perhaps that you that you could read for us? Sure, Katie. I'd love to do that. Um... You know, I came to North Carolina from my hometown of Pittsburgh in 1976 as a VISTA volunteer, mm -hmm. uh, Domestic Peace Corps, and was assigned to the Department of Correction. Um, so I, my, my first stint at anything outside my parents' home, uh, outside of Pittsburgh, was I was suddenly on a prison yard. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was a VISTA volunteer for 14 years and have more or less stayed pretty involved in prison work all these years. And it's worth mentioning, too, that my wife of 46 years, who was not my wife then, um, Joan and I actually met at VISTA training on the very first day of training and kind of became inseparable. I say that only because I'm going to read a poem from a book of mine called Concertina. Which oh, are all yes, prison. great which are all prison poems, and, and Joan, um, Joan appears in that. Um, hey, didn't so you, weren't you in, um, I think I remember hearing you describe being, having a meal together, like you weren't used to Southern food and that there was something right. amazing about that when you first met her. Well, I mean, it's very interesting and maybe worth noting that um, we met on the very first morning of training. We've all been in those round robins at breakfast where you say what your name is and where you're from. And we were served breakfast, um, by the way, at the Georgian Terrace Hotel in the ballroom where the ballroom scene with Gone, from Gone with the Wind was, <laughs> uh, was filmed. So, so the marriage was clearly meant to be, but we were served... <laughs> We were served breakfast, and, and there were eggs, and there was there there was bacon, um, biscuits, orange juice, coffee, and there were also grits. But I did not know what they were, just because I had heard of grits, but I had never seen grits. And I guess I thought, um, based on the word, that grits would be gritty, um, but they were. They, if you know what grits are, and I love grits now, um, they don't—they're not gritty at all. 
Um, so I looked at it and I wanted to be polite, but I didn't know what they were. And Joan, who was seated across the table from me, said, you don't know what those are, do you? <laughs> and I, I confess sheepishly that I did not. And she schooled me about what they were and how to eat them. And um, I've been following that lead ever since. So this poem is called Certainty. And this is very, very early in our courtship and also very, very early in our um, in our beginning to work with prisoners. And Joan went on to work in group homes and counseling and counsel indigent prenatal patients. And we were house parents for abused and neglected kids for a year. So so we dug into that pretty passionately our first few years first many years together. Again, this poem is called Certainty. Far from home, penniless, food stamps, everything from goodwill. I lived with Joan Carey, a Baptist girl from Tucker, Georgia. For 80 bucks, we leased a Charlotte attic across from Detox and Memorial Stadium and worked in the prisons. My family in Pittsburgh wondered what I was doing for no wage and why, all the way down in North Carolina, like some agitator. The certainty I lived in then made me happier than I've ever been. One torrid August night, 3 a.m., we barged out of a party, Joan and I and Jim, our Vista boss. We had come in Jim's tiny Honda, brown, homely, tires the size of saucers. We were headed for Krispy Kreme up on Independence, the hot donuts now neon about to announce yet another epiphany in that enchanted tropical August. Joan was 20, sundresses I remember like pets from my childhood, and Jim so young and confident. Inside, they danced to Thelma Houston's Don't Leave Me This Way, setting fire to Hallelujah, the last sacrifice of summer. Hearts and windows shattered across the Queen City. Glad to be together, we stepped into the street toward the car. The night was far from over, yet up in the huge magnolias, early morning cast its thermal hush upon the revel. The three of us saw at the same time Jim's Honda somehow detached from its station at the curb, rolled down the middle of 8th Street. An automobile inexplicably animated with sinister purpose, as if we tripped unwittingly through the scrim, segregating us from that other world where things happened for no reason at all. Jim and I intercepted it backpedaling as it bulled us toward the intersection until we finally halted it inches from catastrophe. We looked at one another and laughed the way convicts ambling Huntersville Yard laughed about building 30, 40 years in the penitentiary. Guys my age wouldn't see the streets again until after the sons Joan and I would one day parent had grown into men and left home. Laughed Joan and I exchange all too often when the unimaginable hurdles into an otherwise placid day. The laugh I think of now is fear. Hmm. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. You've been listening to 
The Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest has been author Joseph Bethanti. Uh, do look up Brothers Like These. It's incredible uh, to see the videos and to learn more about the work. Um, Joseph, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my great pleasure. Thanks, Katie, for, for hosting me. You have been listening to The Seminary Explores, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.